0: Wonderful. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in your scriptures uh, this morning. We're going to continue to take our look together at verses uh, 15 to 24. The last time we were together, we gave the introduction and the conclusion to this section. The introduction was verses 15 to 24. 17 and the conclusion was verses 23 and 24. You can go back and listen to that uh, on your own time for sure. We began this study in the book of 2nd Corinthians actually early in our days of quarantine. We spoke on the comfort of God that we receive in Christ during times of difficulty, and that comfort we're uh, equipped by God grace by God to share that with others, and it was our desire ever since we preached those messages on God's comfort to continue a book study in 2 Corinthians for the remainder of the year. So this is Paul's second letter that he wrote, obviously to the Corinthian people. There were three total that he wrote. One has been lost, but these two inspired and preserved for our learning. The first letter was really difficult to be received well. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, But they did receive it well. Paul wrote on some hard things that he had known that the Corinthian church had been experiencing. He addressed them, and they responded super well to those things. And since they responded super well to those things, he was able to continue his ministry of God's word to them. We're going to discuss uh, the rest of today and next Sunday uh, what that ministry meant to them in relationship to um, their interdependent spiritual relationships inside their local church and how that uh, applies to us. Throughout the rest of this book, we're going to be discussing not just Christian ministry, which we said comprises almost the whole first half of the book, the nature and integrity of Christian ministry, both personal and corporate. We're also going to study such topic as, as eschatology, what happens to our body when it when it dies. Uh, we're going to be studying eschatologically what the bema seat is. What is the judgment seat of Christ? You know that in Second Corinthians chapter 5. So Paul deals in this letter... Uh, with Christian ministry, but then a lot of practical topics, too. He talks about Christian generosity and defending the ministry against falsehood. Paul also, without using his names, talks about a vision of literal heaven. It was so humble, his experience, he didn't even use his name. There's only one person that has seen heaven who continued to live to tell us a little bit about it. personal experience and that was Paul, we'll learn about that later, those of you that know your Bibles are very familiar with that vision we'll also talk about that old thorn in the flesh and many other things as we continue on in this book, but we're also going to continue to study what it is to deal with each other by God's grace in the local church, so here's a little proposition for this morning and next week if you're taking notes. All the promises of God for personal relationships in ministry are presented, received, and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of the promises of God for personal relationships in ministry to be developed are presented, received, and fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in Christ, our relationships as believers can and should be thrive in him. So yes, interpersonal ministry speed bumps will always exist in various ways and various degrees in any size church with varying frequency, but God in Christ will provide healing and always provides progress forward in the gospel. As we know, Paul has been criticized, as we were together last time, for being indecisive. Indecisive or fickle. Remember that word? we studied together, vacillating there. He's been criticized for being untrustworthy because of his fickleness. So now in verses 18 to 22, he'll focus on the initial message to the Corinthian people that he gave to them. We'll go back and examine Acts 18 and its unwavering nature as compared to the minor things that they were focusing on in ministry that derailed the or had the potential for derailing the progress of this church. and By doing this, he'll regain the spiritual confidence of the Corinthian people, our confidence as believers, from being distracted from others in the church who sought to major on those minors instead of minoring on minor and majoring on majors. So where did it all begin? Hold your finger here. Let's go back to Acts 18. This is the first time the Apostle Paul came to The Corinthian church. Acts chapter 18. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to highlight a few things here and read a couple verses. You can go back and thoroughly study it on your own. So what do we know about Paul's first entrance to the Corinthian church in Acts 18? Well, at first, Paul was led to a husband and wife. They were entrepreneurs. Aquila was the wife, uh, excuse me, was the husband and, and was a Jew and was politically forced from Rome to Corinth. We don't know how long they had been in Corinth before Paul met them there, but they were there because of um, political racism, should I say. They were forced out of Rome to Corinth. And they had the same trade as Paul, so Paul set up shop in their basement, so to speak, by beginning to live with them and to join in their small business plan to make money, to make sure he could live while he was beginning to present the gospel there. What a blessing these just two faithful mentors can be in the building up of a servant's ministry and study the life of Aquila and Priscilla in their ministry to Paul. And you'll see how significant they were. As was Paul's custom, he went immediately to the Jewish synagogue and the community there first and gave the gospel message. They blasphemed his message, Acts 18 tells us. And Paul announced at that point that he would go to the Gentiles in that city from that point forward and just give the gospel. So he went right next door to Titus Justice's house and continued teaching there. Then he found out that his ministry in the temple was not in vain. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, turned to Christ and his whole house. Now one couple, one godly man... And one house and one family and one religious leader's family formed the foundation of what would become the church in Corinth. You study this text, you read it multiple times, and you'll see how God uses many singular things put together to advance the gospel. So the practical principle for us is don't ever underestimate the power of one. Don't ever underestimate how God's grace can use even you for gospel advancement in this place and in our community. Then the Lord just kept adding to the church. You see that in verse 8. Jesus does build his church, doesn't he? Right. God never leaves his servants without the encouragement they need to persevere. So in verses 9 and 10, Luke relays a dream here that Paul had where Jesus spoke to him and bolstered his heart to continue. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul, In the night of a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Eighteen months God continued to see many Gentiles come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So that's the beginning of Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church. So, who and what never changes in the development of Christian relationships in our church family? The promises of God as fulfilled in Jesus never change. These realities become our stability in our relationships. As a matter of fact, we'll study together how the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is by nature eternally invested and interested in the maturing of our relationships in ministry right here at Grace Church of Mentor. Now, we announced last time that the meat, the body of this passage, was divided up into three sections. You may have written those down. In verse 18, we have a proclamation. In verse 18, we have a proclamation. In verse 19... And 20, on into 21, we have an explanation. And then we'll finish in this text with an affirmation, a proclamation, an explanation, and an affirmation. And I'm going to tell you that I'll spend all next week on that third point because that whole third point is uniquely um, addressing the role of the Holy Spirit in the development of Christian relationships inside the local church. You'll see all members of the Godhead, I already said that. It's going to start with the announcement, God is. And then it's going to go to the explanation of Jesus Christ and who he is and how he helps us develop and maintenance our relationships. And then we're going to finish next week with the Holy Spirit. So let's go up to verse 18. What about this proclamation in verse 18, he says, as you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. I think all of us probably had a little bit more time to spend with our spouses during quarantine if you're married. And a couple of weeks ago, we were just driving along in the car. Some nights, we just had to get out of the house. And so we just got in the car, and we made laps around Mentor, just seeing what we could see. And um, one of the drives my wife and I took, uh, it came to my attention that I had um, not shared with her. And I, I brought it up to my own attention, quite frankly. She didn't say anything. I said, you know... I don't think I've told you I've loved you for the last couple days. I mean, you like, no, I love you, right? And she goes, yeah, but you haven't. (laughs) So, So we were at a stop sign. I got out my phone. And if I did it, it would reschedule it again. I said, hey, Siri. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. I said, schedule for me and my reminders to tell my wife I love her for the next 1,000 years. And it did it. She did it. It did it. Whatever. It did it. And um, Rhonda laughed. She goes, you didn't have to do that. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's so romantic, and that's only one-third of you. The other two-thirds, how sad it is, you have to be reminded to tell your wife that you love her. (laughs) I just wanted it to be an enduring commitment, an expression of my faithfulness. her. But this text states something very, very divine for us. God in Christ has guaranteed us we are spiritually loved for eternity. The phrase here that we've read together is very, very clear. But as God is what? But as God is faithful. That word but powerful That's the most influential three-letter word here, moving on from addressing the minor matters that they were making major matters. The Corinthians were allowing to adversely affect their relationships with Paul. He now says, okay, if we're going to die on any hill together, let's make sure it's this one that we die on. God is faithful. It's a reminder to us that there will always be people Are you with me? There will always be, Jesus said it to his disciples in Luke 17, it is inevitable that offenses are going to come. Can we say that together? It is inevitable that offenses are going to come. I might even offend you before I'm done with this sermon. I wouldn't doubt that I do. I hope it's not me offending you. If anyone, I hope it's God. But when he uses this word, but, he's taking our gaze off of those third-level tertiary issues, those minors that they had made major issues, and he's saying, take your gaze from here, and now we're going to do a 180, and we're going to put them here. And we're going to put them on someone. God is. That's a tremendous grammatical statement of expression of his eternality. God has always been. He has always been what? The text says here he's always been faithful. Faithful. You remember Philippians 1, 6 and 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. if you know your Bibles well. When God saved you, he made a divine commitment to invest his ability to grow you in Christ until you saw Christ. He has begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, God is faithful, who will develop you completely until we see Jesus. God can't help himself, but be faithful in his commitment to the developing of your character, particularly in this context, to the development of human relationships right here at Grace Church of Menor. God is unbreakably reliable to complete that which he's begun in you in Christ. He wanted the Corinthian believers that he's been on a bumpy road with in the past to know this, to own this. What patience this develops in our minds towards one another in relationship to our own interdependent growth, doesn't it? What anticipation this develops among us as we eagerly observe the lives around us as they gradually grow in Christ-likeness. You know how this understanding of the faithfulness of God in us in Christ protects us from typecasting any believer among us who's walking with the Lord. An understanding of the faithfulness of God's work in us and through his gospel will compel us to continually consider each life in a three dimensional way body, soul, and spirit, and how the indwelling spirit of God is developing that soul. And assuming God always develops a soul that's his. Are you with me? In a Bible-believing church of born-again people indwelt by the Spirit, there's something that will always happen because God is faithful to make sure it happens. There's always going to be the development of that soul spiritually. And you can take that to the bank. What patience, what compassion that develops in us. Gone is this phrase from the New Testament local church here at Grace Church of Menor. Well, that's just so-and-so. They're always going to be like that. They'll never change. Typecasting. They've always said it that way. They continue to say it that way. They're never going to change. I'm just going to move on because there's 99 other people here that I can hang out with and fellowship with. They're just not going to change. That's a sinful statement. That's a sinful statement. The Bible says it's an abomination to unnecessarily divide the body of Christ. And that statement that I was all too familiar with growing up around church unnecessarily divided the body of Christ. It is my assumption that every believer indwelled by the Spirit of God is experiencing the faithfulness of God in growing them. And he does, and he will. He will. Okay? God is faithful. God is faithful. Praise him. Praise him. Unto what? The next phrase says, so our word to you is not yes or no. In other words, you don't have to focus on the minor issues in my life, those fickle issues. Remember Paul had an A travel plan and a B travel plan? And the Corinthian people, a portion of them that was infecting the church at that point, were saying, discrediting Paul's integrity because he couldn't make up his mind whether he was going to do the A or B travel plan. He goes, yeah, let your yay be yay, let your. It's never been about that for me, Paul says. You know it's not been about that for me because you know how I came to you, what we already went through in Acts chapter 18, right? But God is faithful, so therefore you don't have to worry about me or any of us getting hung up in fickleness, majoring on minors. Because we're all glued God's faithfulness in Christ. So yes, the stability and durability of Paul's message to the Corinthians by nature has been ensured by the very nature of God's unchanging divine reliability. He's saying, for those who may be doubting me and assigning blame to me as one who is indecisive, remember what message we came speaking first and then know the central message has been spoken ever since. And always know that's our primary focus and always will be. God is faithful to bolster what he started and will continue it by grace until we see him. And God's grace never gets stuck in a spiritual ditch in the faithful development of a believer's life in relationship to interdependent necessary relationships in the local church. He's always growing our development to do that. So think about it. God's grace is as faithful as God is. It's always developing us in every way. So Paul proclaims God's faithfulness from the rooftops in this passage for this reason. God is faithful, and he's vividly proclaimed that divine, unchanging consistency in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the proclamation. So let's consider together the clear explanation of God's faithfulness next. Let's look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes or no, but yes in him. For as many as the promises of God in him, they are yes. They are yes. I got a new remote for my son's car at the car parts store. I could choose to pay $75 to go to the dealer and have the dealer sync that remote to my son's car, or I could do what? Yep, I could get on my phone and I could go to, as our old folks like to refer to, the Google or the YouTube, right? (laughs) I could go to Google or YouTube and I could say, hey, look, teach me how to sync a car remote to a 2009 Ford Focus. And sure enough, I did that in a one-minute video very clearly explicated in a three-step process, I was able to save myself 75 bucks and successfully sync the remote to the car. Paul here, in a three-step process, from three different angles, describes for us three aspects, three truths about Jesus Christ and his ministry to us. God explains here... God the Spirit explains here through the pen of Paul how God's faithfulness is demonstrated to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's theological, it's philosophical, and practical. That's why we're going to end here this morning and save the Holy Spirit for next week. Okay? Very theological, philosophical, and practical. For Paul, a simple and clear explanation of how God demonstrated his faithfulness to us is now detailed. And if we comprehend it, the explanation will save us from much ministry agony when it comes to interpersonal relationships in the local church. So remember with me, Paul reminds my, is, is mindful of his bumpy relationship with the Corinthians in the past. So with balanced wisdom and spirit-filled disposition, Paul explains how the faithfulness of God, not him, was first demonstrated to the Corinthian believers. So let's look at this passage along these three words. Message, message, method, and motive. Paul's going to explain the ministry of Christ in our lives and a message, and then a method, and then a motive. Theology, philosophy, and practice. He says here, for God, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, was preached among you by us. Paul begins with God the Father's commitment to relationship development. He now explains the role of the Son in the same, and that Son had to be preached. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We all heard of Christ. We were convicted by the Spirit of God of our sin. We were gifted by God's grace with faith and repentance. All right? And we, by faith, were born again by hearing of Christ. The word preached here is a, a word in the, uh, in the Greek language that tells us that there was something very certain that happened in our past. How many of you can remember the first time, as far as your brain can, you heard the gospel? The first time, not the time you responded. How can you remember the first time you heard the gospel? Anybody? All right? This is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about Acts 18 here. Christ was preached to you. Our ability to endure in the development of Christian relationship is found in that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 real quickly. He reminds them of that in his first harder letter that he wrote to them. He reminds them of his entrance in Acts 18 and 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority or of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined, that's the Greek word diakrino, I judge through. It's the same word used in Hebrews 4.12 of what the Bible does for us. And it's the same word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11, when we sit down and have the Lord's Supper where we judge through our souls to make sure we can partake in in a right manner. He said, for I judge through myself to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, Christ, the son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached to you, and all of you heard it. Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, if you want to write that down. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Timothy, there was a time where your grandmother and mother shared with you the gospel, and that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures. And he tells them in 2 Timothy two twenty-two, it's good for you, Timothy, to go back to that time you first heard the gospel, or go back to that time when you bowed your knee to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you made him your exclusive identity. Remember how he changed you. Remember where he placed you into the body of Corinth. And remember how he began to grow you. Paul's saying here at the beginning of the explanation, remember the message that changed you. And remember how much sin Jesus saved you from. You know, I've always said, you guys have heard me say before, I don't think anyone can be truly born again unless they really believe that they're the most wicked sinner on the earth the moment they trust Christ as their Savior. I can't remember coming to Jesus as a young boy thinking about, wow, all the other wicked sinners in the world. I was just totally consumed with my own brokenness. I remembered that message. It influenced me. It changed me. It placed me into a body of people that have all been transformed by that message. And I'm to remember that moment of my transformation. It remains the health. For me, it remains the, the faithfulness of God to me to know that in Christ, no relationship issue is insurmountable in the local church. None. If God can save me, certainly he can solve any of my issues with God's people. Amen. So what's his method? The second half of verse 19 and verse 20. Paul didn't do ministry alone. He mentions himself and Silvanus and Timothy here. He always remained transparently together with ministry partners. What wisdom and methodology we see here in philosophy. What are some of the reasons or values as to why Paul would state here, by me, Silvanus and Timothy? Well, first, Paul had not left himself unaccountable in his personal relationships. He wanted to tell the Corinthian people he wasn't doing this all alone. Certainly, he's already stated his primary accountability is to God and the gospel message and God's faithfulness in it, but there's been many dangerous people throughout the generations of the church who have stood up and said in the church, I'm accountable to God and God alone. Leave me alone. I'm just going to preach what I preach, believe what I believe. Everyone just leave me alone. I've got God. Paul didn't do that. Paul's saying here, really, I appreciate that, but hey, don't leave yourself alone. Don't leave yourself as some potential runaway theological or philosophical or practical train in the local church by divorcing yourself from working with other people in the church to help you grow and for you to help them grow. I believe Paul did not want to be one of those people. He's saying, I just want you to know that on my ministry resume is a salvation experience for sure, but here are some references of those who can verify my integrity in Christ and my walk with him. I don't don't want you to trust my words. Talk to these people too. And by the way, this is good for any of our spiritual resumes in local church problem-solving, isn't it? It's good to have spiritual people on our resumes that can vouch for our walk, our salvation, our walk, and our character. In addition, I believe Paul desired to let the Corinthian people know that he, was, that he had maintained those good relationships with friends. He wants them to see that Christian relationships can and should be maintained by grace inside the local church. And these two men can verify for the Corinthian believers that Christians together by grace can survive bumpy histories and still serve the Lord with great energy together. And Finally, because of these two realities, here's two other men that can be trusted with what they preach too in Silvanus and Timothy. Paul has never desired to be the center of gospel attention in any circumstance. Can we all remember that? Oftentimes in problem resolution, we come Anxious, emotional, our tendency in our flesh, I know it's mine, is to shift blame, to point out the error in somebody else. And that's the antithetical way that Paul addresses how we approach spiritual issues in the church. We start with who are we in Jesus? Has God been faithful us in salvation, right? We go through what we've already preached and we come here and next to us should be people who can vouch for our character, for the character of God in us, not us. And Paul saying, "Here, here's Timothy, and here's Sylvanus. Here's two people that can vouch for what God's been faithful in doing through me, and now He's doing it through them." And the Corinthian people can be confident again in Paul's message because he had these disciplees, if you will, that he was mentoring. And he takes himself out of the centerpiece of, of being the centerpiece of attention and problem solving. See how Paul does that with such great skill? Here's the Corinthians who are upset with him over being fickle over his travel plans. He says, After all we've been through, like, are you kidding me? Have you ever had a moment like that with another Christian? After all we've been through, are you kidding me? You're going to be upset with me over about my travel agent and picking plan A or B to come see you? Are you serious right now? He says, No. He doesn't start there. What does he do? God's faithful. That's the explanation. The message is Jesus Christ. Method's pretty clear. We do this together. and We see and we recognize and we enjoy and we embrace the faithful working of God in everyone's soul here. Because by grace, that's the easiest first thing to do. So I will just ask you, are you spiritually accountable in your relationships in this church? Can others verify your character in Christ? Are, we allow, are you allowing yourself to be prepared to be the best, to the best of your ability to be God's given gift of ministry in developing relationships here at Grace Church of Menor, Are you demonstrating your faithfulness to the gospel message itself by bearing this relational fruit of the gospel in your life? And as you are in Christ, are you following someone here who is in Christ? And are you leading someone else as you live Christ's life? And are you burdened to leave this church when you see Jesus Desiring to leave behind someone who is living Christ's life as you taught them to live Christ's life by you living Christ's life. You're not living your life here at Grace Church of Menor. Remember, God is faithful in Christ through you. You're living His life. You don't get to live your life. Praise God. So in verse 19, he concludes, verse 20 begins. So we're not focused on the yes and the no, but our yes is in the faithfulness of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ. This method is always developed by the message. And this is Paul's explanation. We should strive to never allow the narrative of focusing on a minor, third-level, tertiary issues to derail us from understanding God's explanation to develop of healthy ministry relationships. Pull your minds, wrestle your hearts away from those things unto divine, faithful, and eternal yeses as demonstrated in the consistency of Jesus Christ in you, in us. It is this faith that overcomes the world and all it does to unnecessarily divide the body of Christ. Our yes is Jesus Christ and his method in which he developed his ministry relationships. We are okay with him. We are okay with the way he lived, Paul was, Sylvanus and Timothy were, and we must also. It's never too late to do right. God's good. So stop real quick right now. Freeze, think. Is there anyone even in this room that I've decided to quarantine myself from because you've typecasted them into never changing? I'm asking pastors, pastors' wives, pastors' families, elders, deacons, everybody. Is there anyone in this room you have typecasted and you said that's the way they've always been, they'll never change, so I'll just minister and fellowship with these people? If you are, I'm going to ask you to repent of that sin. I think God does. No typecasting. No typecasting. Not in a spirit-filled church, word-saturated church. We assume everyone's going to grow that knows Jesus. Amen? Amen? And we grow by his word. And the motive here is doxological as we close. For as many are the promises of God, verse 20... And where are all the promises of God are embodied in who? What's the next prepositional phrase? Two words. Remember our proposition to begin the morning? All the promises of God received by us and put to work are fulfilled in him. In Jesus Christ. All the promises of God, here's our motive. In him, they are yes. Therefore, here's the conclusion. Also through him is our amen to What end? To the glory of God through who? Through you. This is the final amen. This is the essential, ultimate amen. In Christ, we grow, and in Christ, we know God's faithfulness. And through that faithfulness, we're able to live. Hang out with me here. We're able to live in our own lives the attributes of God's goodness which are the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Those are all the attributes of God's glory of His goodness. And in Christ we live those attributes with one another, and against those things there, there is no law. There is no end, there's no cap. And next week, we'll fully discuss the role of the Spirit of God in helping us live those attributes among one another unto the togetherness of our body in Jesus Christ. What humble and necessary deference this is by the Apostle Paul. It's like Paul saying, I'm doing my best to stay governed by the Spirit, so because I'm human... It may look like I may make some, some, some mistakes sometimes, but none of those mistakes or overshadow the central, unchanging, faithful message of God I've preached since we first met. So let's keep our eyes on that message. And that message is the glory of God demonstrated and lived through us to each other. So that's the proclamation and the explanation of Paul's message. So next week, we'll exclusively consider the affirmation of Paul as he offers information about the third member of the Godhead, God the Spirit, in relationship to his commitment to the development of our relationships with one another here right in our own church family. So, lots lots of things can happen in quarantine. Lots of things can happen, even though you're not around God's people in your relationship to God's people. So let's just stop. Whether it be past 120 days ago, or whether it be present, and I don't know of any long-standing, enduring issues, so I'm not preaching that. I'm just preaching the text as we go through a book. But that's our application for today. Are you allowing God's faithfulness to be explicated through your life in Jesus Christ unto God's glory as you live the attributes of his goodness among one another to each other for the gospel's sake. So just think about it. Draw the circle around yourself. Let's continue to do the right thing the right way. I believe all of you are. And I hope I would express that same kind of Proclamation and explanation in my own life towards you in any relationship. Someone asked me recently, said, Pastor Tim, how do you get up there and preach every week? And you can definitely say you don't have anything between you and your Savior or you and the people in the pew or the seats. How could you actually say that? So how can you actually preach this? And all I can tell you is this. I don't ever, and I haven't for 30 years, ever gotten up in a pulpit and preached a message knowing that there was something between my soul and the savior or something between my soul and another soul in the church I've never done that by God's grace So right now, I don't know anything about nothing about anything between you and me <laughs> There's only two times in 30 years I've actually not gone into the pulpit and pulled Simon aside and then pulled him into a back room and said Hey, look, I think there might be I don't want it to be so let's deal with this because I got to preach with a clear conscience what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't take your gift to the altar if you know your brother's got aught against you. Jesus preached this. Satan hates divine togetherness that is bolstered by the faithfulness of God in Christ. He hates it. Sorry, live streamers, I guess I'm not. I am so passionate about keeping the family together in Christ. I'll move a pulpit if I have to. Amen. Look at how wickedly divided our whole world is. We need to know the divine togetherness of God here, and praise God, we do. Amen. Bear hug it. Lock it in. Don't let it go. And live this text, and you help me live it too. All Let's pray together. Father, we love you. I could just picture in my own mind, God, Paul, with great passion, writing this letter, wishing he could reach through his pen to the heart of the Corinthian people and grip it and say, please listen. All we've been through before, please listen. Look to God. He's faithful in Jesus and live his attributes unto his glory. Put yourself aside and let God come to the centerpiece in Christ. Let's examine our faith in him. Let's assume growth in one another. And let's grow. And let's grow together. We love you, Lord. We thank you that as the whole first, almost the whole first half, maybe over half, of this book, Lord, is given to the integrity and in nature and the development of Christian ministry, personally and corporately in our church, Paul starts with personal relationships, his with the people. Because he knows there is no ministry of integrity in any church if the people aren't right with each other in Christ. So thankful for the flow of this text and its ministry to my heart. Praise God. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.